Spencer, you got a whole crew this morning, brother. Go get them. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow, great to see everybody. Glad that you're here today. I'm thankful that, uh, that you made a choice this morning to be here. I'm thankful that of all the things you could be doing today, uh, you chose to make God number one. Today I am sharing a message uh, talking and continuing on about that, that theme, hurdles for the home team. All of our teams have all kinds of hurdles. Our marriage teams have hurdles. Our church team has hurdles. Our family teams have hurdles. Uh, our work team has hurdles. So we're constantly faced with obstacles that we're facing or that we have in our lives. And God wants you to know today that you can overcome those hurdles. One of the hurdles is, is joy stealers. Uh, I actually was, was spoken to by our CIA lessons about joy stealers. We talked uh, just about for a whole month about things that try to steal our joy as believers with the children. And so today I want to speak to you about overcoming joy stealers. But to begin with, I want to share a story with you of, of two old-time friends who bumped into one another. And one of them was so sad that he was on the verge of tears. And he said to his friend who asked him, what in the world's going on that has made you so sad? And his friend said, well, about three weeks ago, my uncle died and he left me $40,000. And the friend said, wow, that's a lot of money. And he said, that's not all. About two weeks ago, I had a cousin to pass away that I never knew, and he left me $80,000 free and clear. And his friend said, wow, man, you have been blessed. And he said, but you don't understand. Last week, my great aunt died and left me a quarter million dollars. And the friend looked at him kind of bewildered and said, and why are you so sad? And he said, this week, nothing. <laughs> Who does that sound like? Uh-huh. Sounds like me, and I bet it sounds like you too. Uh, today, I want to ask you a question. Why is it that so many Christians lose their joy? Why do so many believers who have received the greatest gift God can offer, salvation in Christ, why do we lose our joy? They start off great. They, they continue on and they're, they're filled with enthusiasm. They're filled with love. But all of a sudden something happens. What started fantastic is now kind of sour. And they, they, they go by and as, as time continues to go on, it seems like they spring a leak in their spiritual life and all their joy drains right out. So many things in this life will try to rob you of your joy. In the book of Philippians alone, the Apostle Paul mentions joy 17 times. Four chapters, 17 mentions of joy. Why 17 times? Why did he keep driving that home? Because listen to this. 
Repetition is our greatest teacher. Amen. Repetition will teach you more about joy than anything else will. So let's read about overcoming joy stealers in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes, and he's writing to believers, okay? And he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice. Be joyful in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Listen to this. Beware of those dogs. He's not talking about wolf, wolf dogs. He said, beware of the dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he might have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I'm blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Another translation of verse 1 says it this way. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, may the Lord give you joy. No matter what happens, may the Lord give you joy. I never get tired of telling you this because I'm doing this for your own good. May the Lord give you joy. You see, Paul is very concerned that these believers in this church that they might lose their joy. God is concerned that you might lose your joy. And so what does he do? He gives three safeguards. Three safeguards that can prevent joy from being stolen from you. The first of which is this. Resist legalistic attitudes. Resist legalistic attitudes. Legalism can rob your joy. Legalism can destroy the joy in your Christian life if you allow it to. It can ruin a family, it can ruin people, and it can ruin churches if we allow it to. What is legalism? Legalism basically is substituting keeping rules and regulations for a relationship with Christ. That's what legalism is. And many people still practice it today. Legalism is when you get your focus off what God has already done. And you start thinking about what I can do for God. You lose focus of what God can do for you. And you start focusing on what you can do for God. When you get your focus backward like that. When your focus is upside down like that. You are going to lose your joy. 
because you can't do anything to earn the favor of God. And you know what? This has been a problem for thousands of years. Thousands of years in churches. And see, even here in the Philippian church, there were people called legalizers. And these legalizers were basically saying, listen, trust Jesus, right? Trust him with all your heart, but you got to add this other stuff too. What were they saying? In order to have heaven and eternal life, you've got to believe in Christ plus add works. That's what they were teaching. And it made Paul furious. He couldn't stand it. He said that that's not the case. And even said so in verses 2 and 3. Paul attacks those legalizers. And he, he said, you know what? They're trying to steal your joy. And here's what he says. Listen, church. Listen, believers. Watch out for them dogs. Watch out for those dogs, those evil men and their wicked deeds, those mutilators that say you must be circumcised in order to be saved. For we who worship God in the Spirit are the only ones who are truly circumcised. We put no confidence in human effort. Instead, we boast about what Jesus has done. Man, that's what Paul was saying. So what is safeguard number one? Safeguard number one to resisting legalistic attitudes is this. You've got to live each day by the grace of God. In our life groups class this morning, that's all we talked about was the grace of God. Everyone or everyone who is a Christian in here has had that grace event in their lives where the grace of God has come down on you and you've received that grace by faith. But then you know that not only after that grace event, you still need grace day in and day out. You still need God's grace. Every breath you have comes by the grace of God. Every beat of your heart comes from the grace of God. Every child that's born comes by the grace of God. Every church that exists, exists by the grace of God. So grace is so very important. And friend, you need to live each day by the grace of God. we got to come to the conclusion that everything God does in you and everything that God does through you comes by his grace only. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. It only comes by the grace of God. And so what Paul does here is Paul uses his life as an example of what he's talking about. You see, Paul was what is called a superstar legalist. He was a superstar legalist before he became a believer, and he tried the rules and regulations way, but guess what? It didn't work for him. It didn't work for him. In verses 4 and 6, listen to what he said. He said, look at here. If anybody ever had a hope of saving his own self, it would be me. I was circumcised when I was 8 years old. I was born into a pure-blooded Jewish family. I'm a real Jew if there ever was one. What's more, I'm a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the law. In fact, I was so fanatical about keeping rules, I persecuted the church. I obeyed Jewish law so carefully that I was never accused of a single fault. Man, that's a superstar legalist. Paul said, hey, if you want to compare lists, man, I got you beat every time. I'm the best of the best. 
I'm the superstar legalist. I'm the superstar of the law keeper. And in doing this, Paul gives us five examples of legalism. And I want you to see if you ever witnessed these or maybe if these have ever been in your own life. Number one, how do you know when you're falling into the trap of legalism? Number one, you begin to trust in rituals. Paul said, I was circumcised the eighth day after I was born. See, we have rituals today, too. We have baptism. We have the Lord's Supper. We have worship attendance. We have life groups to study the Bible. We even have baby dedications. But let me tell you something, friend. Those things, while they are so worthwhile and they have great value in the life of a believer, if you fall into the trap of trusting in those for eternal life, you are in desperate, desperate trouble. If you trust in your baptism to earn you eternal life, you're in trouble. If you think just because you partake of the Lord's Supper, you're going to heaven, man, you got trouble. If you think because your parents dedicated you when you were a child, and that's, that's taking you to heaven, man, you're in trouble. See, that's legalism. And when we start trusting in rituals, that's falling into that trap. Falling into the trap of legalism also may occur if you begin to trust in race. Here's what Paul said. I was a stock of Israel. Man, the tribe of Benjamin. The best of the best. Have you ever heard somebody say this? You know, my daddy was a Christian all his life. My mama, man, she prayed. She was the strongest prayer warrior there was. She was a believer all her life. My uncle, he was a pastor. But have you also heard that God don't have any grandchildren? Amen? God's got a lot of children, but he doesn't have any grandchildren. Friend, you can inherit religion, but you cannot inherit a relationship through Jesus Christ. You've got to do that your own self. So you might be falling into the trap of legalism if you're trusting in rituals or, or race, but you also might be falling into that trap if you begin to trust in religion. Paul said, hey, man, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm the best of the best. Man, Paul was one religious dude. He was a religious guy. Many people, even in today's churches, are pros at keeping the rules. They don't stir up no stink. They don't complain or whine. Right? They're pros at keeping the rules and regulations. But guess what? Many of them are still hell bound because they don't have a relationship with God scary that is see what we need to learn is there's no way no way we can keep all the rules no way you can keep all the rules in order for you to enter into the kingdom of God for you to have heaven as your home for you to enjoy eternal life friend you are going to have to place your faith in the only one who not only did, but can obey all the rules. And that was Jesus Christ. So you're falling in a trap, a trap of legalism, if you're beginning to trust in religion. But some people fall into the trap of legalism because they begin to trust in rules. 
rules. He said, in regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. Paul kept all the rules. He kept all the rules. But notice what else he said. You're also falling into the trap of legalism if you begin to trust in reputation. Wow, Paul said, as for zeal and righteousness, I was blameless. <laughs> Amen? I was blameless. Today we have people in the church saying, man, I read my Bible every day. Every single meal that I eat, guess what I do first? I pray. I even tell other people about Jesus. Man, I do, I work and serve the Lord at the church. Man, I do all this stuff. And let me tell you what, all those things are very important. There ain't nothing wrong with any of that. The problem comes in when you think you're getting brownie points from God for doing it. Because you don't. That ought to be the least you do. Amen? So you don't get any brownie points from God just because you do what you're expected to do. God loves you unconditionally. And he encourages all of us to resist legalistic attitudes. Let's don't do that. Let's live, live each day by the grace of God. But here's a second way for you to prevent joy from being stolen in your life. And that is this. Reevaluate religious activity. Reevaluate religious activity. See, a lot of people are looking for joy. They're just looking in the wrong place. Paul compares the value of religion to the value of a relationship with Christ. But can I tell you, there is no comparison. You can, can't compare religion and relationship. You can't compare. Paul had been very religious. But Paul was also very lost. Verse 7 and 8, Paul said, I once thought that all those things were so important, all those religious things, but now I consider them worthless compared to what Jesus has done for me. Yes, everything is worthless when compared to the priceless gain of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. Listen to this. I have discarded everything else, counting it as garbage, so that I may have Christ. Now, here's something you need to know. When the translators translated the original language, uh, they were being very polite. Okay? Because that word that's translated garbage, or in another translation, rubbish, um, are not really the words. When you literally translate those words in the original language, it's the same words that we use for manure. So, if I can, let me rephrase this for you. Paul said, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as crap, so that I might have Jesus Christ. Amen? What is his focus? What is his primary concern? It's all Jesus. Everything else goes out the window. It's not worth anything. It's rubbish. It's garbage. It's manure. So what is safeguard number two? You got to keep your priorities straight. You got to make sure that you know what's important. 
that you know that number one ought to stay number one. Don't lose your joy over things that really don't matter. Don't lose your joy over things that are number seven, eight, nine, and ten. As long as you got number one, number one, you can retain your joy. You can keep your joy. The number one reason that people lose their joy is because they misplace their priorities. Things get out of whack. They misplace their priorities. They get too involved in things that really ain't that important. Paul's saying, what matters most is not your prestige, is not your profession, it's not your pedigree, it's not your possessions, it's not your position, it's not your power. You can have all that and still be unhappy. Amen? Paul said he gave up his religion in order to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Do you see what's most important? Do you see what the number one priority ought to be? See, when you come to Christ, you ought to be willing to give up everything. Because guess what? He did for you. Amen? We ought to be willing to give up everything. Otherwise, you're really not a Christian. Because he's got to be number one. He's got to have the first priority. He's got to be number one in your book. It's a total commitment. And boy, let me tell you something. You never had it so good. You never had it so good. What I got is worth far more than I ever gave up. I may have given up some things according to this world. But man, what I got in return, man, it's a, it'll blow my mind. Consider this. I gave up guilt so that I might gain a clear conscience. I gave up worry that I might gain power for living. You gave up going to hell so that you might gain going to heaven. You gave up trying to solve all your problems in your own strength to gain having the resources of God to help you solve your problems. Man, we didn't get any, give up anything. That's a pretty good trade-off, wouldn't you say? Wow. So, let me ask you this question. What is it that you're afraid of giving up for God? What is it that's preventing you from going deeper with the Lord? What is it that's preventing you from, from having that intimacy with God that you're, you so desire? What is it? I mean, if you're a Christian, do you really live for Christ? Is there anything that you fear changing in your life? Is there anything you're just, you're just unwilling to give up? Listen carefully. If you're, if you're listening, say amen. Whatever that is that you're not willing to give up, that's the very thing that's stealing your joy. Whatever it is you're not giving up, that's the culprit. That's what's preventing you from having the intimacy you desire. 
That's what's stealing your joy. So to prevent joy from being stolen in the believer's life, resist those legalistic attitudes. Reevaluate your religious activities. But finally, also refocus personal ambitions. In verse 9 of chapter 3, Paul continues to say, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want you to take your finger. Amen? Show me your finger. Show me your finger. Take your finger and put it on that word no. In verse 10. That word no. See, lasting joy comes from knowing Jesus better and better. Paul says his number one goal in life is to know Jesus. His number one priority is to know Jesus. How many of you know Jesus? See, many people have been Christians for 5, 10, 20, 30 years, but they don't really know Jesus. Many of them just don't know Jesus all that well. And you need to understand what that word know means. Because the original word for know means to have experienced. To have experienced. Friends, this kind of knowledge is personal. This kind of knowledge is continual. This kind of knowledge is something you practice. Over and over again. So have you experienced all that Christ is and all that Jesus desires to be in your life? Safeguard number three is we need to get to know Jesus better and better. You want to keep joy from being stolen in your life? Just get to know Jesus better and better. Never stop growing. Never stop developing your relationship with God. So many people haven't grown one bit since they made that initial decision for the Lord. And guess what? They don't have any joy. Okay? How do I get that? How do I get to know God better and better? I'm going to give you three quick tips. One of all, how about some, how about some time? Amen? It takes time to know anybody. How about some time? You need to make some time alone between you and God. You need to take this Bible. You need to sit down with it. You need to read it, pray about it, talk to God about it, talk to him about what you want, tell him about what you need. Listen to CDs, listen to Christian music. Just sit down and spend time with God. And remember this, you can't build a relationship with somebody in a crowd. See, many people think, well, I'm coming to church on Sunday morning. Man, I, I'm building my relationship. Uh-uh. 
We build a relationship one-on-one. Amen? That's how we build a relationship, by spending time in that way. But not only is it time that's required, but also talk. You need to talk to God. You know what I'm talking about. Pray. Right? Pray to God. Relationships require communication. If you want your relationship to grow, you've got to communicate. And I read this. If, if you have much prayer, then you will have much joy in your life. If you have a little prayer in your life, then you'll have a little joy in your life. If you don't have any prayer, you won't have any joy. Time. Talk. But also a third one. Trust. Every relationship you have is built on trust. You've got to trust. God wants you to learn to trust him. He wants to prove to you that he is absolutely reliable all the time. He's worthy of your trust. And so what he does is this. He allows some problems to come your way. He allows some things to come into your life so that if you'll trust him, he'll walk with you through the fire. He may permit some unexpected hardships. He may permit unrelenting temptation. He may permit unexplained illness. He may permit uh, unstopping pain. He may permit even unforgettable tragedy. All in the hopes that you might learn to depend on him through the trials that beset you. I think this trust is pretty important to God. But is that trust important to you. Paul says his number one ambition in life is to have the joy of knowing Christ. The joy. So friend, I want to ask you something. Are you losing your joy? Have you lost the joy of your Christian life? Maybe it's already gone. And you don't have any joy in your Christian life. Has your Christian life really just become one Sunday morning after another Sunday morning after another Sunday morning? Has your Christian life lost that that spark? Has your Christian life lost that freshness that it had when you first came to Jesus? Have you become an iffy Christian? You might know what an iffy Christian is. An iffy Christian is, if I do this, God will accept me. If I do this, then God will love me. If I don't do this, then God won't hate me. Friend, that's legalism. And God's love for you is unconditional and everlasting. God loves you just as much on your bad day as you do, as he does on your best day. 
His love is unconditional. But legalism can seep into your life and it can steal your joy. Maybe you've been like Paul and you've been trusting in rituals. Well, they have great value. If you're trusting in rituals to save you, I'll repeat it. You are in trouble. And you need to make a decision to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Maybe you got baptized as a kid. And you're thinking, that's what saved me. But in all reality, what has happened is you have confused the symbol with the substance. You've confused the ritual with the relationship. And there's a huge difference. Maybe you've never trusted Jesus and is your Lord because you know what? You're a religious person. I need to go through all that now. I'm pretty religious. Please know if you have a whole bunch of religion, but you've got no relationship, you're in trouble. If you have a whole bunch of religion, but you've got no relationship, you don't have Christianity. You've got churchianity. And there's a difference. So what are you really living for? Some of you folks my age might remember that game called Trivial Pursuit. Who remembers Trivial Pursuit? <laughs> I probably invented that game. That name, Trivial Pursuit,
you know, that braid that the end's knocked out, you're still in that same rut. You need to know that only complete surrender to Jesus Christ is going to give you the joy. Lord, we love you.